together. First Timothy chapter 1, looking at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though I formerly was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I'll finish the thought here. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the glorious testimony of Paul, this great salvation that you gave, bestowed upon him. Lord, as we unpack this today, I pray for those in this room who need to hear this great message that need to be liberated from the bondage that loving this world and the anger of this world and the bitterness of this world holds us all into. And I pray, God, that they would be set free today and that they would know the glorious love that you have for them and the way that we can now be connected to you, connected to our purpose, and living out a life filled with meaning, joy, contentment, and love. God, thank you that we get to study this. I pray we'd all rejoice as we are reminded again of the glorious salvation that we have been given. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I'll share with you a story. I've, some of you know this story. I've shared it in another context. I don't know if I've ever shared it in the sermon. I'm sure I have. But uh, when I was 12 years old, my best friend, he, he lived next door to me, and our houses were pretty close, and we did everything together uh, all the time. And there was one particular summer day when he decided he was going to plan this party at his house, and he's going to invite some friends for an overnight. And he said, hey, you know, can you come to this overnight? So I go home. I say to my mom and dad, hey, can I go spend the night at Fred's house, you know, for this party, and uh, my dad says, yeah, you can go on one condition that you mow the lawn tomorrow, and it has to be done by the time I get home from work. has to be done by the time I get home from work. Now, my dad know, knew me and knew that you know, I had basically like, like three or four chores. None of them were real complicated. One of them was to mow the lawn every week, and for some reason, that was like the one chore that like I just forgot. <laughs> okay, some of you are laughing. You didn't forget, right? Okay. And you know what was so crazy about me losing that chore, not doing that chore, how lazy I was, is that lawn took maybe 15 minutes to do. Like, it was not big at all. Yet, I never did it. My dad always had to ride me to mow the lawn. Always had to ride me. So, opportunity comes, teachable moment for a dad, right? You can go on condition the lawn is done by the time I get home from work. Now, my dad got home at the same time every day. Like, I mean, you could set your watch at the time he pulled in the driveway. So I knew what time he had, what he was going to be home. I knew what my cutoff time was. So you would think, logic would tell you that I would get up the next morning and mow the lawn first thing, right? No, I get up, I start playing with my friend. We go down to the swimming pool, local swimming pool. We come back, we're goofing off, we're playing around. And the next thing I know, I look at the clock and it's 10 minutes to five. My dad's pulling in at five. Oh boy, I get that lawnmower out. I'm running 
doing the lawn. Record time, got it done in seven minutes, I think, something like that. I mean, it was, but I left chunks of the lawn not mowed, right? I mean, there was no trimming. You could just tell that I, I, you know, there was no design. I'm running back and forth, and the lawn just looks awful. So my dad comes home, but I got it done before he got home. So my dad gets home, and uh, he sees the lawn, and he says, you know, you're not going. Now, there's this thing that happens to a teenager at that moment. It's almost like a superhero thing, you know? And I call it lawyer man, okay? Lawyer man kicks in. And lawyer man is the, you know, 12-year-old lawyer man is what I was, right? I just rip off my shirt, be a big L, right? Lawyer man. I begin to negotiate with my dad. You didn't say how good the lawn had to be. You just said it had to be done, right? Yeah, when you're 12, you think this is going to work, right? You don't realize you're digging the hole deeper. (laughs) But you think, this is is a good plan. I'm going to argue with you. And so, you know, and he just looks at me and says, you know, I'm just, I can't believe you'd want to pass this off as being good work. And I'm like, dad, you didn't say it. And you know what? I got it. I met the requirements. I should be able to go. And hey, if I got to go back and fix it up afterwards, I'll go back and fix it up. But I met the requirements. No, you didn't. You know what? I'm not going to let you pass that off as work. I'm not going to let you pass that off as accomplishing your chore. Your chore has to be done, has to be done through my eyes, not your eyes, which is always his line. Got to be done through my eyes, not your eyes. And I'm, I'm arguing. And of course, as lawyer man kicks in as a young person, you get more and more angry as a young person. At least I did. I had a little bit of a little fire, a little, little fire to my bones. And so I'm starting to get mad. This isn't fair, right? I mean, like this is the 70s, right? And this is like, to me, the greatest injustice. Like Watergate was nothing compared to this. This, there's like no greater injustice that happened that I couldn't go to the party at all. And I am mad and I'm pouting. And uh, I only, kids, I only did that once in my life, by the way. So no, I'm, just, I'm mad, I'm pouting, I'm angry. And he's like, you're not going. And it's getting worse for you because you're not going to be hanging out with your friends tomorrow. Right? And I mean, the consequences start coming because of my attitude. And not only that, you're going to go outside right now and you're going to fix the lawn and I want it flat. So I get out there, I'm not in my right mind. And I say, you want it flat? I'll give you flat. Now this seemed wise at that moment. (laughs) It seemed like this is the plan of the ages right here. I mowed everything. I mowed the flowers. I mowed the garden. I took it all down. There was nothing left. Everything was flat. At the time, I thought I showed him. I was convinced that I had shown him, that I had made my point, that he was going to come groveling saying, you're right, son, you should go to the party. Not only that, here's some money. Right? I, <laughs> I'm thinking this is the natural outcome of mowing the garden. When I'm all done, I really, I really truly remember this day. I remember stopping in the backyard, and we have this window, looks out our kitchen onto our backyard, and I could feel my dad looking at me. And suddenly I started to rework the plan, right? You know, like, this probably wasn't a good idea. He comes out, and he goes, go to your room. Sends me to my room. He doesn't come in for a long time. I'm a dad now, and I understand why. (laughs) I appreciate that. 
I appreciated the fact that inside I'm thinking, did I get off? You know, he hasn't come in here. I mean, I was in there for a long time. And uh, I could just imagine the process he's going through. But he walks into my room after a while, a long time. I don't remember how long, but I mean, it was hours, it felt like. And, uh, and he begins to start saying, listen, what you did was wrong. You showed disrespect to me. You showed disrespect to your mom. You're operating out of anger, and what you did is wrong. And here are the consequences of what you did. He laid out all the consequences. And, uh, and, and trust me, I paid for this dearly. There were consequences for this. But then he said, listen, that's not the way I want you to be as a man. That's not the kind of man I want you to be. I don't want you to be that kind of man. If I give you a job to do, I want you to do that job. And I want you to do it with integrity. And I want you to stand there and say, I poured my all into it. And he began to talk about what it means to be a man. What it means to work hard. What it means to do things with excellence. He delivered the consequences. And, and there were many painful ones. And, uh, and then when it was all done and we kind of took care of everything, he said, let's go out for a hamburger. And we went out for a hamburger. He's restoring me back to the family. Now, my dad read no books on parenting, probably listened to no talks on parenting. But the one thing that he was committed to was not to his vengeance, but he was committed to making me a better man. He saw those actions as being taking me down a path that if I follow that path, I won't be going in a good direction. And he had to work through his own emotions so that he could come into that moment and not make it about him and how angry he was, but he made it about me and how sinful I was and what I needed and the consequences and restored me back to the family. I think about that passage or that story when I read this passage because I was being lazy, I was being selfish, I was being foolish, I was trying to hurt my dad, I was being disrespectful. But my dad, he didn't discipline me out of anger. He didn't come to make himself feel better. He took the time to cool down, to talk with me, to consequence me, to restore me, and to make me better. When I think about that, I think about Paul saying, man, you know what? I was this horrible, wretched person. And God, instead of dealing with me the way I deserve to be dealt with, he did something different. He dealt with me with grace and mercy and was committed to restoring me and uniting me to the purpose for which I was created. That's what the gospel does. That's what we're going to see here in this passage today. It's an important passage because Paul wants to make sure that Timothy does not let the false teachers take over and pervert the gospel because if you lose the gospel, you lose the hope of this passage. And in order to make sure Timothy doesn't lose track of this, he tells them, listen, I want you to tell these false teachers that are preaching a bad gospel to stop it because the, good, the gospel is great and it does incredible things in the life of a sinner. And let me tell you my story because what's, if it's true for me, it can be true for anyone. And that's how he ends his testimony. If this is true for me. It's true for you. And in his testimony, he says, listen, here's what Jesus did for me. He united me to the purpose for which I was created. He shrouded me with grace so that I could be protected and he forgave me my sin and my rebellion. I want us to see that today. I want us to see it. I want to see it so that we can celebrate it. I want to see it so that people could be set free. 
I want to see it so that people young, if there's young people in this room, that you won't think that your life and your purpose is ever going to be found in pursuing your own ways. You're, you're going to be just like me thinking that this is a great plan to go mow down the garden as if that's wisdom. And that's the way of the world. It sends us in this horrible path. But the glorious gospel says, listen, it's going to unite you to Jesus, unite you to your purpose for being here, give you a reason for breathing, surround you with grace that protects you, and forgive you so you don't have to live in the shame and the guilt of the things that you've done or that have been done to you. Powerful. Well, let's look at it here. Look at the first thing we see here, that the gospel gives purpose for living. Notice verse 12. He says in verse 12, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. That is an incredible statement. Paul, as he starts off his testimony, he says, man, I am giving thanks to Jesus, right? Remember, Christ means Messiah. So he's saying, I'm giving thankful to the Messiah, the one who came, the Lord himself, because he did something for me. Here's what he did. He united Paul to his purpose for living. You realize this, every single person, if you're breathing, every single person who's alive in this room was made for a purpose that God designed. And you will never be happy trying to find that purpose outside of God. Ever. You can have all the money in the world, have all the success in the world, have everything, the dream home, whatever it is. You can have it all and you will not be happy. You could think happiness will be found in, you know, rebelling against your parents or putting down your children or whatever it is, you know. Not found there. It's not found there. Paul says, Man, I thank Jesus, that Messiah, the Messiah, the Lord, because he did three things for Paul. Let's look at these three things he did. First one, I just worded it this way he equipped Paul. Notice he says, I thank him who's given me strength. He's given me strength. Now I want to explain this to you. Paul is, in essence, we're kind of dividing up his sentence, but here's the point of his sentence. Jesus, his work on the cross, connected me to being able to serve God, to carry out the purposes for which God has for me. But here's what he did in in calling me to do this. He didn't just call me to do something and then say, now go figure out how to do it. He actually strengthened me. Strengthened means to equip. It means to give somebody what they need to do the purposes for which they were created. One of the lessons that I learned in life is this simple reality God has given me a certain reason for being here. And embedded in that reason are all my gifts and my talents and abilities and the things that I have endurance for. And whenever I tried to walk away and strayed from those purposes, I never could accomplish anything. And you go through life, it's like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? Why isn't life connecting for me? And, And the one question that we're never asked, we don't ask when we come out of the womb, is God, why did you make me? We come out going, this is what I want. Paul's saying, you know what? I did that, man. I came out saying what I want, and then God opened my eyes, and suddenly I got connected to his call in my life. But not only that, he gave me the strength, the ability to carry it out. Do you realize you are already gifted to do what God has designed you to do? You lack nothing. That's the glorious gospel. 
You don't have to do the if-then stuff anymore. Well, if we could just get this, then we could have this. Once we get our house paid off, once we get this, once we, if we get the, if I could just get more money, if this person would just back off out of my life, if this person would, go to, if this person would move, everything would be great. All those if-thens in life. What do you say now? Jesus strengthened me to carry out the call for which he called me to do. That's what the gospel does. If you're a young person in this room, I want to tell you something. You have been designed for a reason. And you can find that reason. Not in yourself. Not in your pride. Not in your arrogance. Not in dreaming the impossible dream and doing it your way. You find it by saying, Jesus, why did you make me? And what do you want me to do? And when you begin to seek that, you begin to realize you have been strengthened and equipped. That's what the gospel's about. Empowering you to serve God. Jesus died on the cross to give you the power to serve God and walk in the purposes for which you've been created. Now there's a second statement he makes. He says, I thank him who's given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord. It came from Jesus, the Messiah. His work, his death on the cross. And then he says this, because he judged me faithful. He not only equipped Paul, he established Paul. He laid a foundation for Paul. Notice what he says, that and this is, could be a little confusing statement, because he judged me faithful. Now, some people read that, and they think Paul is saying, man, I thank Jesus because he gave me strength, and he looked at me, and he said, Paul, you're killer, man. You know, you're the man. You're faithful. You can do it. It isn't that. Let me give you a word you can substitute instead of uh, judge. You could say it this way, because he declared me faithful. A judgment's a declaration. I thank Jesus because not only did he die and rise from the dead and forgive my sins and then give me the strength to follow him, he also gave me a standing with him, laid a foundation for me so that I could actually accomplish what he called me to accomplish. He declared me, or another way, he made me faithful. That's the best way to translate that. He did it for me. You know, when you trust in Jesus, you're not only connecting yourself to your purpose, getting the strength for it, but Jesus is actually saying, you know what? I'm even going to declare you faithful. Now, what does it mean to declare someone faithful? Let me, let me say it this way. Let's say you have somebody who's lived a really hard life, did a lot of bad things in their life, and they become a Christian at the age of, let's say, 35. And they look back in their past, and they see every horrible sin that could ever that anyone could ever do, and they'd say, that, that's my testimony. I've done all that. They could come in 35 and say, you know what, I'm not one of those good people that was raised in a Christian home, and, you know, and the worst thing that they did is they watched Barney videos behind their parents' back, you know, something like that. You know, like, like I'm not one of those people. I got a story. I got a story. And therefore, I could never be used by God in the same way he would use that person who doesn't have a story? I got too much of a past. The point of this line, he judged me, he declared me faithful, saying this, when Jesus died and covered my sin, it means he no longer defines me by my sin. I don't get to walk in the room and say, you know, I'm so stained by my past. If you knew what happened to me, if you knew the way my parents treated me, if you knew all the horrible things that happened, blah, 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 blah. What do we do? We define ourselves by our past, by our past sins. Think, God said, no more. I'm declaring you fit 
to be in my service. I am laying a foundation for you. That's what the gospel does. Unites you to your purpose, right? It, it equips you. And then it establishes you, gives you a foundation because Jesus no longer defines you by your sin. He defines you by his death. I covered that sin. That's what he's saying. I covered it. And then he empowers him. Notice what he does. Appointing me to service. Appointing literally means commissioning, sending me out. Here you go. When we, when we appoint someone to service, we're empowering them. Go, do it. Now, Paul is thanking God for that. And you might say, well, yeah, well, Paul was this really brilliant guy and this smart Jewish person. He's got all this great resume, you know, Hebrew of Hebrews and all this stuff. But Paul would say, no, I want to tell you about something. I want to tell you that, that I am not a product of my own righteousness. I'm a product of grace is what he's going to say. Because notice this is the second point here. He not only is united to his purpose, but then he recognizes that he was protected by grace. So we look at a grace that protects we're going to see two words in here besides grace, grace and mercy. And they both show up here, but I want to show you what the grace does. Look at verse 13. He says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He's saying, Now, I, I, I got all this stuff, my purpose, and I got you know, strength, and I got this foundation, and I was commissioned. But I want to tell you who I was. He lays out three things about himself. He was a blasphemer. What does that mean? That means that he rejected Jesus and therefore was shaking his fist in God's face, saying, God, I don't, I don't believe in you. I'm rejecting you. And any testimony that he saw of the power of Jesus at work in the world, he called it the work of the devil. I mean, that's pretty offensive to God. I mean, Jesus says strong things about blasphemy. The moment that you say that God is the devil, which is what Paul was saying, this is evil. Jesus is evil. He was a blasphemer. That was how he walked with God, calling Jesus evil. Not only that, he was a persecutor. He then turned his anger and started treating people out of his anger. If anyone was following Jesus, he was trying to tear them down, make their life hard. Then it says he was an insolent opponent, which means he actually was killing people. I mean, just a, those are awkward words that just mean violent, violent oppressor. He wanted to kill people who followed Jesus. Let me put Paul in a modern term, and I don't think this is a stretch. Paul was a terrorist. He was a religious zealot terrorist. If he were living today, he'd have no problem strapping a bomb onto himself, walking into a church and blowing himself up if it meant killing Christians. That's who Paul was. He's saying, do you understand, when I talk about the way God put him into service, why I say I thank God? I was a murderer. I was a horrible person. I hated God. I was blaspheming him. I was hurting people with my life and my words, and I was killing people. But notice what he says, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. That is not an excuse. He's defining himself. I don't have time to do this, but here would be an interesting study for you to do. Do a study on the way the Apostle Paul uses the word ignorance. He always uses the word ignorance in, in relation to paganism. Pagans act out of ignorance. It's, it's a code word for him. And he's saying, listen, I was a pagan, and I was living in a world of unbelief, 
But you know what's amazing about God? God is a missionary God. God shows mercy upon the pagans. You know, God is withholding his wrath right now from this world because he's a missionary God. And there are a bunch of people out there that are shaking their fist in the face of God. There's a bunch of people out there saying, I'm doing it my way. I don't care about you, God. A bunch of people live in that way. And God is not sitting there going, I'm going to just destroy them. Instead, you know what God's doing? There's probably some little kid somewhere in a country somewhere who's shaking his fist in the face of God, doing it his own way. And somewhere else in another country is a is a young person who's saying, God, I want to follow you. And God is beginning to mold that person's heart to be a missionary. And God's going to send that person to the person who's shaking their fist in the face of God. And that missionary is going to tell him, why are you shaking your fist in the face of one who loves you and who died for you and who can unite you to your purpose? He's saying, do you realize something? I was, I'm a product of mercy. God withholding. I was a pagan, but God showed mercy to me. That's what he's saying. Why? Verse 14. And that the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, he withheld. That's mercy. He withheld his wrath. Even though I was a pagan, he withheld it. Why? So that he could do something. Here's the picture here. We have the grace of our Lord overflowing. Picture just a waterfall, like a, like a tidal wave coming down, crashing down. And he's saying grace was just crashing down upon me. What is grace? Grace is a gift. It's giving you something you don't deserve. You know, I didn't deserve a hamburger from my dad after he restored me. But he was restoring me back to the family. He's giving me grace. This didn't separate you from our family forever. In fact, this is a good moment for me to talk to you and and to act on your behalf to make you better. To keep you in the family not to kick you out of the family. And he says, this grace came and it filled me with what? What did it give him? Faith and love. Right? He was a blasphemer. He didn't have faith in Jesus. And he was a persecutor and a violent oppressor. He didn't have love for others. The two marks of Christianity are what? Faith and love. Faith that Christ is the Messiah. Love for the brother, man. Don't use in your tongue to tear people down and gossip and hurt people and rip people apart and all that. Faith and love are the marks of Christianity. Paul's saying, man, that's what God gave me. He overflowed me with faith and love. I call that grace that protects. Because what God is doing is saying, listen, you deserve wrath, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to hold it back. And instead, I'm going to share with you faith that you can believe in Jesus. And I'm going to share with you love you can love others. That's what the gospel does. It gives you grace that protects. You're protected from yourself. Isn't that great? What about the person who's never heard? I got an answer to that. God is merciful and protecting them until they do hear. God is not distant. He's not hanging back. His mercy is alive among the unbelievers and among the unreached. And his grace is powerful. But there's one more thing. There's also forgiveness that covers everything. Look at the last two verses. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for for eternal life. Matt referenced this earlier when we were singing, singing. This saying is trustworthy, deserving, full acceptance. Paul is saying, I'm about ready to say something that you should pay serious attention to. In fact, you should bet your whole life on this statement. That Christ Jesus did not come into the world to bring down boatloads of wrath, but he came into the world to redeem those who deserve a boatload of wrath. That's why he came. This is what he was doing. Take him seriously. Because when he comes again, he comes as judge. So take him seriously. This is a true statement. And Paul says, I can preach this with confidence because I was a blasphemer. I called the works of Jesus evil. I was a persecutor. I used my energy and my strength to hurt and tear down people. And I was a murderer. I sought to kill people. And yet, God takes this blaspheming, persecuting murderer, redeems him. Redeems him to such a degree that he becomes the chief global, worldwide evangelist. Why? Paul would tell us why. I receive this mercy for a reason. And let me summarize verse 16. Because if God could save me, Paul says, he can save anyone. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Now let me wrap this up here for us. Some things we need to see here. When Paul thinks of the gospel, the glorious gospel, this message of salvation, he realizes that the gospel was first, as he delivers it here, something that united him to the purpose for which he was created. In Jesus, we find our purpose. I think that that is an important gospel message for us in this country because we try to find our purpose in everything but Jesus. We try to find it in our own success, in our own agendas, in our own way, in our own world, in the little ideal world we design for ourselves. You know, we're so entrepreneurial in our, in our world, in our country. We build little worlds for ourselves, and we, can, we actually have the time, the space, and the resources to, to build a life exactly the way we want it, and we want everything to work within that little box. But you go through life, and you realize it doesn't work, and people don't follow the directions you set when you build the box. And no one plays by your rules. And it doesn't work. And you're still empty inside. Why? Because only in saying, Jesus, why did you make me? Will you ever find purpose? Because you realize that he makes you for a reason. He strengthens you. He declares you just by his work on the cross. And he empowers you to go out and do what he made you to do. And I will tell you, when you walk in that purpose, there's absolutely no way that you will ever be dissatisfied. Even in the dark times. Even in the times when you're saying, God, where are you? You still know inside, I'm doing what I've been designed to do. That's the gospel. Second, in Jesus, we have mercy and grace. You are protected. Do not take the protection of God as a sign of your own success. Take it as a sign of God's great mercy. He might be holding back wrath right now. But the day of wrath will come. But right now, it's here. It's here for a reason. It's here so that you can hear this message. It's here so that we can all get on a plane, 10 of us, and 
fly 6,000 miles to go stand on a mountainside with 60 unsaved kids and say, you can be saved. God's withholding his wrath so we can do this. You're protected from yourself. And you don't have to be defined by your sin anymore. And thirdly, in Jesus, we have complete and total forgiveness. He saves, and when he saves, it's a done deal. All the things you're ashamed of, all the things you're afraid of, gone in Jesus. That is the glorious gospel. And as we go to pray right now, I would ask those of you, maybe you're a young person in this room and you've thought to yourself, hey man, I just got my agenda. And and you're kind of like me out there mowing along thinking, this is a good plan, I'm doing the right thing. And the reality is it's, it's a horrible way to live. It's only in Jesus will you find your purpose. And when you find it in Jesus, it doesn't matter if your family life gets fixed or not. It doesn't matter if your money gets fixed or not. It doesn't matter if your health gets fixed or not. You're in Jesus now. You got him. And you can carry out your purposes, and his purposes will never, ever be stopped or thwarted. But God's withholding his mercy for you to respond. Because in Jesus, you can be forgiven. So, if you need to pray that, now is a good time to pray that. If you have prayed that, and maybe you've lost sight of it, now is a good time to say, God, recalibrate me here today. Let me celebrate the glorious gospel. I've lost sight of it. If you look in your own life and you say, hey, you know what? I'm noticing that I'm parenting my kids out of anger. I'm noticing that I'm judging people. I'm noticing I'm gossiping. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. If you see that stuff starting to flow out of your mouth, man, you got to get back to Christ. Say, Jesus, fill me with your faith and love again. Connect me to the purposes. Connect me to your grace and your mercy. Thank you for protecting me while I was acting ignorantly. Connect me to it. Maybe you need to pray that. And as you're praying, let's pray for those who will hear messages like this over the next couple weeks and the privilege we have to go to the nations and share it. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the glorious gospel. This message that connects us to you and our reason for living I thank you for the glorious gospel of, uh, of grace and mercy that even before we're, we've placed our faith in you, you're protecting us. I thank you for the forgiveness that comes, that we're no longer defined by our sin, but we can be defined by you and your death. Lord, I pray for every young person in this room. God, may they hear this and realize there's only one way to live. And that is in and through Jesus. I pray for every person in this room, those of us who are parents, as we take stock of our own hearts. Lord, the areas where maybe we've been shaken in our faith towards you and shaken in our love towards others. God, would you forgive us and fill us with hearts of forgiveness and love and mercy. May we reflect the same mercy we depend on every day to live. And God, I thank you for the completeness of Jesus' death, covering all the consequences of our sin and being able to forgive us so that we can stand in your presence, blameless and with great joy. Thank you for the glorious gospel. In Christ's name, amen.